0: Welcome to the Husband Material podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Hey man, thank you so much for listening to today's episode about disclosure. We have some of the Top experts in the field talking about this, Dan Drake and Janice Cottle. I have been waiting for years to do this episode, wanting the right people to talk about this topic because disclosure can do a lot of harm when it's not done properly. And it can be so healing. And it's so important. I think we all need to become educated about this. And Dan and Janice are the ideal people to be our teachers. Dan and Janice are. The founders of Kintsugi Recovery Partners. They've co authored five books in the full disclosure series. They have developed the first full disclosure training and certification course, which you can find in the show notes. And they give so much wisdom and grace and kindness in the way that they talk about this. You are going to learn what is disclosure. What isn't disclosure? When should this process happen, or where does it fit into a couple's healing process? And you'll hear just a little bit about some of the research that has been done on disclosure as well, and the alternatives of what often happens when disclosure is not chosen. And ultimately, you'll get a little picture of what God is up to in this process. It's really beautiful, it's extremely helpful, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Today, we get to be with Dan Drake and Janice Cottle, experts in full therapeutic disclosure. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Drew. Good to join you.
0: It is a long time coming Mm -hmm. that we have needed to talk about this topic of disclosure. Why are you so passionate about it?
2: The disclosure process for me sort of is a little metaphor for the entire recovery process. And in it you get to work on all the skills, like really and truly all the skills you'll you'll need, you know, for the long journey of life.
0: Yeah, you all have this great pyramid with truth on the bottom. And what else is in there?
2: Safety, trust, vulnerability, intimacy.
0: Yeah, I can't think of anything that's more important. Yeah, and
1: the more that we've done this. I mean, I, I consider disclosure as a sacred experience. I mean, they're, they're a process that it's an unveiling of truth in a way that that's contained and safe and supported. It's difficult. It's raw. It's scary. It's exposing. And yet it's what heals it's, it's, it's moving the things that were in darkness and in shame and secrecy into the light and restoring it's, it's building a new foundation of a relationship. So to me, I I take these very seriously. I mean, we want to be very supported. It's not something we do flippantly. We see these can go really badly, you know, if they're not done well, um, if they're done, you know, without proper execution or training or support. And so we really wanted to support people to to do this in the safest, healthiest, most kind of sacred possible way.
0: Yeah. I hear some of the horror stories of people who – have had a very negative experience or where a disclosure did more harm. So let's get the record straight. What is a full disclosure and what isn't a full disclosure?
1: A couple of things. So what isn't disclosure? So two things I'll say, and maybe Janice, you can add. One, one disclosure is not a series of truth extractions. It's yeah. not an interrogation. It's not something that takes place. And it's only, you know, dribbled out because it's it's forced to a certain level. And then and then more comes out later, and more comes out later in a staggered process. That's the most what we found in genocide is amazing at doing research. We found through the community that is the most traumatic form of a disclosure, is when it's dribbled out, staggered over time. And that's unfortunately usually the way this goes.
2: Dan knows that I have a pet peeve with using the word disclosure for that trickle process, because it's just a bunch of confessions. Yep. It's an in-the-moment confession. I'll tell you uh, what's at the top of my head. Disclosure itself is has come to have some more specific meaning.
1: So what it isn't is a staggered series of confessions, but it's also not a just an unburdening of the disclosing person. So we often you know, I'm all for accountability groups. I'm all for men being vulnerable and transparent with each other. What we've seen sometimes is that men start to realize, oh, I, I can unburden this shame when I'm talking to other men. And they say, you know, I've got this new, you know, I, I, I see the value of it instead of holding these secrets. So they come home and share all this stuff with their wives and just sort of dump it on the, the wife, which to me is more of a confession. That's a oversharing it's not supported the, the partner what it does is it unburdens the disclosing the person doing the disclosing but then the partner's left reeling and traumatized because they weren't prepared they had no support so it's also you know on on either extreme it's not just a complete unburdening of the person it's done with support for both
0: so to be clear if i have a secret struggle with pornography and i share that with all the guys in my group that's great Yes. Um, (laughs) Right? Like, hey, confession is important and and we need to do that. And also, there needs to be a professionally supported process in order to allow partners and wives to go through this process without being even further harmed. Yeah. And I think that's huge because – a lot of guys resist disclosure because they think, well, I don't want to hurt her more. I don't want to do more damage. Right. And as you said, with this staggered disclosure thing, it's like, well, sharing a little bit more of the porn or sharing a little bit more of what I'm struggling with is like cutting off the tail of a puppy one inch at a time.
2: Yeah. And and the partner is in this place because usually it's quite fr- frequently they hear the phrase, this time it's everything. You know everything. And and they don't. Okay. Um, And then when the next dribble comes, it's like this, like the scab that was starting to form. You just rip it right off and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and damages trust more and more and more. And the partner can't start to heal. Um, So things do get worse with that. Things also get worse because I work with lots of uh, lots of majority of uh, disclosures. I work with are men. Lots of men with really good hearts for their for their partner. Like really, I don't want to hurt my partner. And then they learn a little bit about this disclosure process, or they're at a workshop and they get this sort of energy to do it, and they come home and, honey, you know, she's in the kitchen cooking. And she's completely, it's not just blindsided, it's like carpet bombed, like with that. And the shock is so tremendous. There are none of the support like to even begin the healing process. And so for sometimes for the best of reasons, when you do it off of that energy without guidance, the thing that, that was done to begin the healing process actually exponentially exacerbates it.
1: Can I use a, if it's okay, some, some, a metaphor I find helpful is it, like a medical one. You know, you use the scab to me. I think it's, it's like, let's say I had a, a cancerous tumor. And to me, I think, I think this, the secrets, the sexual secrets that we can keep are tumors, you know, they, 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 they're malignant. Um, They're, they're damaging to us. They're damaging to relationships. Let's say that the doctor, we go through surgery, we get the tumor removed. They, we got it all. Well guess what if, if we find out no later actually there's still some more we didn't get it all okay now it's, it's you're going to be reeling you're going to be you know uh yeah. oh wow okay it's not just scared you're you're kind of oh it, it goes back to this oh no is am I going to be safe am I okay and then no we got it all the next time got it all what if this is five times ten times fifteen times could you imagine if what that does to your your system if if you thought you got all the cancer but you didn't and it's just could you imagine what that would do and how you'd feel
0: and you're saying that is what it feels like to receive this kind of dribbled out?
1: Yeah, because it's like we're talking about truth being a foundation. So the partner, okay, finally, instead of partners feel like they're free falling with when they they don't know all the information, they don't know they what am I, what's true, what's not, who are you, who who am I, what what's the extent of this, what did you do, what didn't you do? Okay, we got a new foundation. Okay, we think we've got all the the, the truth out there. Oh, wait, it's not the truth. Then this the foundation we started building crumbles and we have to rebuild that. And then it's just, it's just this the safety starts eroding. All the stuff that's on the top of the pyramid, safety, you know, trust, vulnerability, if that's there, you know, this all starts crumbling again. And it gets harder and harder to rebuild each time.
0: I feel like we have a really vivid picture of what not to do. On the other side, what is a full disclosure?
2: Yeah, it is process for the disclosing party to like really carefully um, put together his own history of acting out. It's like the the discloser has to come into self-truth. And so there's a lot of like work that can happen in there. There's a lot of like recovery work. And sometimes I work with people who like I've been in recovery for a long time. I think I, I, I know it all. She knows it all. And then with that really careful process of putting it together, I have lots of maybe a good 90% of the time. Oh, wait a minute. How could I have forgotten that? But for for the partner, because we have ample research now that we know that for at least the majority, there is betrayal trauma. It does kind of rise to the level of, of a trauma, like the discovery of what was going on. And, oh, my gosh, everything I thought I could believe to be true about my husband, my relationship, myself, I can't trust any of it now. And so for the partner, it's really how do we blend in the elements of healing, of trauma healing? How do Most importantly, how do we do this in a way that the partner has some choice and like really carefully thinking, what do I really need to know? And what it maybe comes up sometimes impulsively when I'm triggered, that really and truly, that's probably not wise for me to know. So there's choice points. Most importantly, there's support, like a lot of support, not just from the person or persons guiding the disclosure, but hopefully from like a community with that. There's some opportunities for like time, like you insert time into trauma. When you're Uh, learning something in that dribble method or in the avalanche method, there's no time to pause. There's no time to breathe before the next piece comes. There's no time to say, okay, Drew, can you pause for just a second? I need about like 30 seconds just before you give me the next piece. There's no opportunity to say, Dan, I need a timeout. I just need to walk around for a few minutes. um, With that, you wouldn't believe the number of women I've talked to who felt like they kind of had to go through it all when maybe what they wanted to do is go cry or scream or, or vomit with that. So there's, there's the opportunity to insert time in there in a way that repairs. There's like healing as there's pain coming.
0: Wow. Yeah. That makes so much sense to me from what I've learned about trauma, what, differentiates a tragedy from a trauma is that in the trauma you're alone and you're powerless. So it sounds like disclosure is a way of making sure that you have support. You're not alone and you're also not powerless. Like you have a voice and a choice and you get to go at your own pace. Yeah. Rather than just being overwhelmed.
2: And it's not a passive preparation process for the partner. Because you remember the old movie a long time ago, A Few Good Men, the sort of Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson on the stand and Jack, you can't handle the truth. Well, sometimes that's true. Um, if you sort of just do the on your own, doing your own surgery version version, or a or poorly led. But for partners, part of the preparation to figuring out what I really need to know is also Oh, and how do I handle it? And if I'm if I don't have, you know, if I don't have like a really strong, well-developed kind of coping resources, ah, okay, I should probably do that. And if I'm really preparing in a way that I'm being careful and conscientious about it, I probably should start like sometimes it's painful to look at what do you what do you what do you need to know? What do you think you know? What are your greatest fears? You start the, the, the coping process there, like, oh, time out. I'm overwhelmed. Or you realize, you know, it's pretty, probably pretty smart to book in, like doing something that's like regulating and then dealing with a little bit of the really, really hard, painful stuff and then pausing and doing something that's regulating again. And when you prepare that way, it's kind of like you're building a muscle inside of you, like a coping muscle. So when the, you go through the disclosure, you handle it better. It may be just as painful, but you handle it better. And one of the metaphors that Dan and I use, on, use in our materials is like people who are from storm-prone, hurricane-prone areas, they don't wait until like five seconds before the hurricane hits, before they start preparing. And you prepare because you want to come through better.
1: And I'd say the same thing on the the disclosing person's guy, the, the side, the, the husband's side is there's prep ahead of time. It's not just we advocate for a written disclosure process, but there's different ways this can go down. We we don't think there is one way to do this, actually. We we know and what you said, I think was critical. Support is very, very critical to this for the success, but there's different ways this can go. And we wrote workbooks not saying this is the way it's saying, here's all the choice points along the way. And how do we navigate those choice points in the way that makes sense for each couple? So that's how we, we really tried to frame it. And, and it's being able to prepare, you know, for doing a written disclosure, do that, but also how do I, how do I stay present and not go into shame, you know, for, for the, the person doing the disclosing and not trading you know, mistaking shame for empathy. Sometimes I hear people saying, well, you know, I'm such a terrible person. You should you should just leave me. I don't know why you're still with me. And they think that's some sort of a connecting response when really it's still about me and it's still about my shame and I'm still, you know, protecting myself. So how do I learn how to do the the very thing that in in active addiction the addiction tells us keep this secret keep this stuff you know don't tell anybody because if you tell this nobody's gonna they'll, they'll reject you they'll abandon you you know there's no way there's no way your wife could handle this so i'm gonna keep this all secret well we're we're advocating for the exact opposite to bring healing is sharing this truth is actually going to heal not keeping a secret and that takes time to really settle that to, to, to kind of buy into it's the sharing of truth that is going to build a new foundation, not keeping this secret. so that to me is takes time it takes a lot of courage that's why any anyone that walks through this, I love walking with men through this because it's it's a courageous act. some people won't ever do it because they you know they'll whatever they're too scared or there's a lot of reasons they may not do it but to me this is so anyone that's committing to this it's so beautiful to to really support someone through it it's it's really. I don't know, to do something that's so difficult. It's humbling. It's, it's an honor to walk with the guys through this.
0: I'm imagining some guys are listening to this, feeling a little bit of inspiration or opening up to the idea of, hmm, maybe I could do a full disclosure and have that foundation of truth in my relationship with support for both of us and, and preparing for it, not just doing it suddenly. When is the right time? For couples to do a full disclosure? The
1: hard thing is there's not, there's there's not usually the right time. In the study that we did for betrayed partners, so on a scale of zero to 10 of the level of impact that these things had, you know, zero being no impact, 10 being the worst possible. So discovery for partners, and I don't know the numbers, you maybe tell me.
2: Nine point six on a 10 point scale.
1: So that's huge.
2: For the full disclosure itself, on average, 7.7, 7, which to Put this in earthquake terms, that's still a major earthquake. But wait time. That that time between discovery and the full disclosure for the partner, 9.2. Like 9.2. Even if it's a quiet pain, it's an ongoing agony. So the answer for most partners we couldn't do it soon enough. Should it like yesterday? Yesterday was the right time to do it. Right. And yet that's like giving yourself 5 minutes to prepare for the hurricane
1: and the disclosing person too because that that number that number surprised me but it it doesn't surprise me now but it's also it was really helpful to see so it's helpful to say for partners you can't do disclosure soon enough yet for most men that we work with we can't wait long enough because we need there's a lot of work that we need we need to do about you know self-awareness. So, you know, we tend to compartmentalize truth. I don't want to see this. So I'm going to bury it and put it in a closet, you know, cl- close it behind different closet doors that I don't want to see. So sometimes it takes time to actually start to, to really, you know, get some self-awareness, get out of the fog of an addiction. You know, it, it takes some time and to get some emotional maturity to say, and build some empathy skills and, and attunement, understand what my partner's going through. <laughs> that takes time.
2: But the truth of the matter is that disclosures occur on a continuum, and sometimes for very good reasons, a partner feels like I need to know some basic things, like what you know, Dan, what you know. If you're the if you're the disclosure, I need to know what you know of you right now because I've I've got kids. Or I don't know how am I supposed to like recover if I have no idea, <laughs> you know, what I'm recovering from. So Dan and I don't take a stand on this is the perfect time, but you have to kind of go into it with realistic expectations. If you're doing it really early on in the recovery process, there's a certain quality that you can get and there's a certain quality that you probably won't get. And if I'm the partner, then I might have to be aware that it might be feel like doing a, disc- a surgery with not just not quite enough anesthesia. The impact might be harder and the understanding might be harder. And oh, yeah, we might be doing another disclosure like down the road when he really understands more and he's unpacked more and memories have like fully come out of compartments. So for me, it's about like just the self-awareness of the reality. Here's what you get. If you do this right now, is that what you really need? Okay, or the thing that we hear a lot in the communities is I was like, at least so, sober at least three months. And that would be that would be wonderful. But I've also worked with men who would get to like mm, two days before the three-month mark and suddenly they relapse. And again, and again, and again, I've done participated in disclosures that happened without sobriety. And surprisingly, most of those men became sober. After the disclosure, but the partners were aware of that and they had some choice points like among it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: For me, it feels really important to know that the waiting is almost as bad as the initial discovery. And for that to give us as men some perspective on what our partners go through I do think
1: our, the field has shifted where we're doing disclosures sooner than we used to because I think in in the past it was more focused on on the man and saying oh he's not ready he's not ready and that meant what well, didn't mean he couldn't share truth it meant he wasn't you know either emotionally mature enough he didn't have empathy skills yet and that might be true but. I advocate for them earlier but not everybody and and I think I think to Janice's point it's all about what I see these going more successfully it's when both people have the, the realistic expectations of what's going to happen we give informed choice and we let the couple I'm not going to say you know this is this is the way I'm not going to make a couple do something I want to see what's going to be best for them and have them make the choices that make the most sense for them yeah I think it, it in some ways it depends
2: I'm probably going to butcher this metaphor because, Dan, you are the person who lives in the more (laughs) earthquake-prone part of this country. But I I learned about the Mercalli scale, which is whereas the Richter scale measures the intensity of the earthquake, the Mercalli scale measures the actual impact of the earthquake. So a 9.2 earthquake in, say, San Francisco, which is structure, is really prepared will have a very, very different impact in San Francisco than in some in a village, you know, in a place that that's not prepared for it. So sometimes if you do those really early disclosures, you really need more preparation. And then by that, I mean the partners and the addicts for the emotional pieces that are going to come up and grab you by the neck. And the dilemma around that sometimes is, you know, people it takes a really long time to accept that this recovery takes a long time. Huh. It takes a really long time to accept that we're not going to knock this thing off in three months, okay? And if you're not in that place, you really can't accept that. Sometimes it's really hard to understand that you really do have to muscle up emotionally. Like you have to do the self-regulation things. You have to do the things to help yourself with that. And that's that's a little bit of, I think, a dilemma sometimes with early ones is it just, there's a certain level of naivete that's still there in both parties.
1: That brings up a really important point, I think, for the person doing the disclosing too, Janice. You, you mentioned, you know, some men I work with, they're like, okay, I, I, I finally, I bought into a disclosure. I, I think I can I can do this. They think disclosure is the finish line. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. It's a huge. So I, again, I said before, I'm so honored to walk with anybody that that it's a courageous step. It's huge. But it's the foundation. We're building a new foundation. The house is not rebuilt. So I think we have to be aware because I've had some men that they, they, when, and just like, let's say, a major surgery, I go through a major surgery. There's going to be a post op period where I might actually be feeling worse. My body may be more, you know, tender and open and exposed, and things may actually get worse before they get better. So I think to have the realistic expectation, you don't cross the finish line, then we're all good and we go back to, you know, things the way they were we built a new foundation it's delicate but it's a new foundation and it's it's an important foundation that we can build from and i just have to say that to build realistic expectations that you know some men i've found if i if i in the past i hadn't prepared as as well as i could have of, of what happens after and they get really discouraged and they think oh it was all you know it's worse now this is a failure that's not the case we expect that but you built a new foundation and that you can't ever take that away that's that you can build from there
2: yeah, kind of using that that surgery metaphor again, very few people jump up and start working out like five minutes after major surgery. There's a time in maybe maybe even ICU and then the recovery room and then rehab. There's a long stretch. Healing involves pain. And somehow I think we accept that a little easier when it's like medical, physical than we do with the enormity of like the emotional impact. I also think for I think that's a little harder for partners early on is to accept that there's two truths in any disclosure. There's the the facts. Did he accurately, did he lie? Did he fully kind of share over the history of acting out? And that's what people get really, really focused on, particularly early on. But there's also the truth of behavior. And so if somebody's doing disclosure really early on, like it's probably, you're probably gonna see more shame or defensiveness, or tap dancing, so to speak, or checking out. And that doesn't mean a bad disclosure. It means your look for the partner is watching to see the impact of the addiction or the history of the addiction, but also getting the opportunity to see how he handles it. Like, does he catch that he's in shame? and then do his own, whatever, his own coping, whether it's breathing or praying, to like come back into himself. Um, If he can't, and Dan leans in to help him, does he fight Dan? Or does he actually let Dan help him? Like the partner gets also prepares to like watch, and you get to see recovery in motion. And that's really powerful. And sometimes it's the behavioral truth. It's actually the most powerful and important for the partners. Hmm.
0: We talked about setting expectations. Some guys really want to know what research is out there about disclosure. What are the stats?
2: Um, I I like research. So especially when it validates what my beliefs are. So (laughs) (laughs) like to my knowledge, there are three. And collectively of those three studies, uh, over ninety-three percent of the partners and addicts said that was the right thing to do, even though it was really, really painful. That was the right thing to do. And again, the fact that there's so much consistency in the research piece—that's a pretty, pretty strong stat. In terms of like our research, because we hold partners and the disclosures. What were the factors that when it didn't hit the 93% mark for them or when the pain was well more than 7.7? Like what were the factors that that contribute to that? And, and often the factors from, say, the addicts were that they like. Okay? That, that tends not. You can't restore truth with lies. And it made things worse for the partners. For the partners, it's that they weren't prepared. Although in that really looked like the data, if this was your interpretation, Dan, is that they were working with somebody who guided them, who didn't help them prepare. And by that, it means that they were underprepared. So this principle, it really sucks for partners that you actually have to over prepare for things that maybe might not be true, that you might never hear in the, dis- in the disclosure. But overprepared is better than underprepared. Well, I had a lot of stories from partners where the the addict's guide or the the guide for both of them um, wasn't partner sensitive, wasn't trauma sensitive, right. um, that really controlled the process. Or no, we only have two hours and that's it, so we better get it done.
1: Or a fifty minute therapy session or something like that. Yeah, or
2: you can't ask that. Or so, and we even heard from disclosers who felt like this. That the guy untrained, unprepared or an insensitive guy actually created damage to his spouse, you know, and he's sitting there watching it and with good faith, like listening to a guide. And that's kind of this is my prep to say all of research said vet your guides carefully.
1: Usually that question comes from men, not from partners. Partners generally don't ask the question about stats and effectiveness, Yeah, at least for me. I don't know for you, Janice, but yeah. Yeah, so,
2: that would be true.
1: What I what I would ask then is kind of flip the question. So let's say we don't do disclosure. That's an option. That's an option. We're not going to force anyone to do it. What is that person's plan for helping heal and restore the relationship if we don't do disclosure, and the partner wants it? So if the partner doesn't want disclosure, we don't do disclosure. I'm not doing disclosure. I'm not forcing someone to know information. If the partner is saying I do want a disclosure, and then the person you know who's done the behaviors is refusing. It's going to be really hard to heal and repair. And usually, what happens in those cases is either the relationship starts to disintegrate because there's no foundation to build from, or the partner has to accept non-reality. And what that usually does, if they sort of, kind of accept or resign, them. I wouldn't say accept, kind of resign themselves to this. Usually, it takes a toll on the, their bodies. On the, they start getting sick. They have to they have to move forward with no security, no safety, no no, no and just sort of trust blindly and that doesn't usually go well for the partner and for the relationship. So I've had people that try to do that and it in the the relationship, the intimacy they think they're going to build or they think they're going to go back to never goes. They never actually get there because because what are we building? How how are we building? It's it's again building on sand and there's no security. So that would be my thing and I'm not going to force anyone to do it, but usually that question comes from an understandable need for some reassurance that this is the right way because your whole system said, lie, keep the secret, don't share this stuff. That's how you survive. So I get, I get that you'd have that question. And usually that's a self-protective question as opposed to, you know, I'm trying to, you know, get reassurance, of course, but who am I protecting? Is it me or is it my relationship? And I want to fight for relationships. Yeah.
2: And, And my experience with the partners is that that need doesn't go away. Even those who, because of maybe fake beliefs or, or children, or who, like, I'm in this relationship. But the ache and the need for to know what's real don't go away. And the irony is, is that our research also, um, guess who actually gets more gain out of the full disclosure process? It's the addict. And I think sometimes it feels like, that the full disclosure is supposed to be something just for her. And it really isn't because truth is healing. It's healing in relationships, but you can't heal yourself without your own willingness to step into it.
0: And looking at some of the documents and exercises you all have put together, they are incredibly empowering, Um, soul searching, uh, equipping, and for the disclosures, like going back through your story is very revealing. And I can see how, how this is recovery for both people. For those who are interested in learning more about this, what resources should they begin exploring?
1: A labor of love for years, we put together some disclosure workbooks. So, just as a way to understand there's a blue one and a, and three green ones. Okay. The blue, there's a big blue one and a small blue one. I'm just going to say this. Um, the blue one is for the person doing the disclosing. That's, that's that one in there in the full disclosure series. The big one has all, the whole process from, you know, what is disclosure kind of things we've talked about today to the preparation process to a little bit of the post-disclosure healing. There's a skinny one that's, that's If you're just wanting to write your disclosure and needing support there, there's a 10 step guide that we created to, to do that. So that one kind of takes a portion of the the big blue one and and kind of takes that out for the green one. And and then we call them volumes one through three volume one and is for the green ones, for the partner Um, volume one is what is disclosure? You know, is it right for me? Those kinds of things. Volume two is the prep. It's the, that's the meat of it. It's, it's a really beautiful, you know, Work, I think it's a huge contribution, Janice. That that you know she spearheaded with this for helping partners. There's so much trauma support with it, uh, as well as you know how to how to prepare for the disclosure for the partner. Um, three is the post-disclosure healing for the for the partner. So,
2: if I can clear up what maybe. Um, the audience might know why you're doing green book, blue book, and why the big blue book is a big blue book, one big blue book, and the partner stuff is in three volumes. It quite frankly, we just didn't think we could get men to buy three books if we split it up. Um, and for partners are so overwhelmed to begin with, they needed it chunked. Okay. So that's that's where the awkwardness in talking about
1: blue and green. And- it gets confusing. So that's why I was trying to break it down. So that that's something our website Konsugi Recovery Partners has some more resources. Janice mentioned um, you know, how important it is to vet your disclosure guide. We created a disclosure, the first disclosure guide training for professionals. That's not just for therapists. We have, we have coaches, we have, you know, clergy that are that are doing this as well. So you know we believe in this process, but we we know people are doing them out there and some some are going really poorly. So we want to educate and train professionals so that we can you know, do this in the most effective way possible so we can help other, you know, people heal and restore the relationship. So that's what we're doing. One thing we're really excited about doing, which we haven't, we're working on is we also understand, you know, not everybody can afford an expensive therapy program or having two therapists facilitate this, which is, you know, what we often do. So we, we're we trying to put together, we're, we're working on, which we will do in it's, it's a Workshop essentially like a group workshop for folks that will you know will lower the cost and then they can do this uh, the prep process for disclosure, which is usually what gets the most time, labor you know labor intensive and costly to do this kind of together as a cohort and work through disclosure prep together. So we're working on on doing that for directly for for those that are are wanting to do this.
2: Yeah. wow. And then I'll maybe just add in terms of like the training for professionals, paraprofessionals. It's not just like going through. Here are the exercises because you can get that in the workbook. There's actually we wrote the workbooks for those who are going to be using them, but there's actually a model, like a trauma informed model, about why we created the exercises we did and the order that it goes in. Uh, So like really understanding the heart, we call it the Restoring Truth model. It was important for us to make sure that other professionals know. We also wanted to create a process where those who need a guide can have some idea of what their training is or if they're trained kind of in use. This, this is a a very, it's a partner-sensitive, trauma-informed process. It's a relationship-nurturing process for that. And that's a, a way to find somebody who has that type of training. So we have those who get, are certified, and even those in training are like on the, on our website, Kizuki.com recoverypartners.com. So we're hoping that we become also sort of like mediums. eHarmony for those needing the disclosure to find somebody who has the same sort of heart and training to help them restore truth.
0: There is an abundance of resources that Dan and Janice have created and are creating, which is so needed, so exciting. And I love the name, Kintsugi. If you've ever seen that Japanese art form where pottery is broken and then put back together with gold. And it's even more beautiful than before. As we say goodbye, can you tell everyone what kintsugi means?
2: Well, essentially at core, it's the art of transforming brokenness into beauty without like restoring something that's broken to its original form. It's reconnecting, the broken parts with with melted gold. And we felt like that metaphor was so important for the work that people are doing in recovery and in the disclosure process. The gold might be is different for different people, but it's blood, sweat, tears, pain, shame, you know, triggers, trigger busting a million times. But it's this thing that we fought so hard to restore truth that when you do, it becomes so precious to you then the inspiration when things go poorly or triggers come up that we work too hard for this. It's too precious. We can't walk away from this.
0: That is so redemptive. As you help couples restore Mm -hmm. truth, safety create space for healing. What is your favorite thing about this process?
2: It's seeing people transform. There's, there's something so powerful. there's a lot of pain in it, but it's pain for a purpose. And like watching lives transform, that is so rewarding. For me, it connects me to the belief that there are things more powerful than ourselves. And it's so inspiring.
1: Even if it's a difficult experience, there's so many beautiful things that can come out of it. I mean, there's people do the most Surprising, amazing things. Sometimes partners are fine, like they they are a thank you for sharing finally, like finally I got it. And they're they're actually grateful sometimes. Um, not always, you know, can be very angry too, of course. But for me, I think that the thing that I, I love the most is to walk through this process with with a man and and help them understand, you know, move from darkness and secrecy and shame into the light and really, really take huge, courageous steps to do something that they haven't done before and that they they their their whole system said don't do this because you'll die or it'll kill your relationship and to actually challenge themselves and to show up and be a, a better human being to be a better man after through, through this that they they can walk away i i have no i have nothing to hide nothing to fear anymore and i can actually be that authentic man of god that i wanted to be from the beginning that i just i knew i wanted to be this person and he was so out of reach they actually can become that and that's so transformative and beautiful to see someone actually take that and become kind of who they were supposed to be from the beginning. Like that's incredible.
2: The part of this process I love the most for partners is actually the back end. I I love this. So seeing them doing the work and muscle up and now I actually am a better coper with all kinds of things, but the, the impact statement process for the partner after that's where, that's where the Kintsugi process happens for them. Like if it's taken seriously and like a sacredly, it's the pathway to post traumatic growth. My favorite part.
0: That's so beautiful. As you're talking about this, I have the sense that even as people are doing this, God is also doing something.
1: It's bigger than us, and it's not two litigators on two different sides. It's to create this experience where it's safe and secure, and this we we're there to support a couple, and there's something greater than us in that room. It's just it's true. It's true
2: he's in every layer of the pyramid.
0: Dan and Janice, thank you so much. And if you want to get some of these resources, find some professional help, go to konsugirecoverypartners.com. I'm going to put all of these links and all this information in the show notes. Gentlemen, always remember, you are God's beloved son, you he is well pleased.